play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, the show where celebrities share stories about the foods they love most, and we dig into the history, culture, and science of those meals with experts from around the world. Today on the program, Sloan Crosley. Sloan is an award-winning New York Times best-selling author. She's written three books of humorous essays and two novels, including her latest, cult classic. I've been a fan of Sloan since I read her very first book back in 2008. It's called I Was Told There'd Be Cake, and Sloan's Last Meal is one of my favorites. It covers her current favorite foods, but also the things she loved to eat when she was a kid growing up in White Plains, New York. Kids food is a very American concept. All over the world, kids and adults eat the same thing for every meal. So I asked a whole bunch of kids if they think there's a difference between kids food and what grown-ups eat. There's a lot of things like spaghetti, pizza, like small things, not big things like a gigantic steelhead or a gigantic seafood burger. You know a lot about fish. Yep. Chef Emmy Collins knows a lot about what kids eat. She creates the school lunch menus for Seattle public schools. I personally hate kids' menus. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, let the kids eat what we're eating. All that and more coming up. But first, here's my conversation with Sloane Crosley. Despite the fact that I interview celebrities for a living, I am notorious for acting like a complete idiot when I see one in the wild. Just ask Jared Leto. Jack Black, Alana Glazer, and Abby Jacobson from Broad City. I imagine every single one of these people get a little bit of PTSD every time a tall, curly-haired woman approaches them. And one of Sloan's most memorable dining experiences involves a celebrity run-in. Just before the pandemic hit, I was... At Mirandi, which is a very large cavernous restaurant. It's just like a family restaurant, basically. I'm sitting there, sitting there uh, with a friend of mine, a little bit drunk at dinner. And we spy Amy Poehler across the restaurant. And like she works at a fashion magazine. I do whatever I do. We've had like a pretty decent amount of exposure to celebrities. So the idea of freaking out over someone, it's its Amy Poehler specifically. Yes. You know, she's such a hero to like a specific set of women or in general. Um, and my friend looks at me, she's like, what do we do? And I'm like, do, 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 do we do, or we're not, are we the sort of people who do anything? <laughs> um, but we decide um, somehow through this incredible brain trust to send her a dessert. And so at this point, our biggest fear is that she's like lactose intolerant, but we send her a tiramisu and we think we've, we've like paid the bill. We think we're going to be gone by the time it gets there. It'll just be like a nice thing to do. And I'm sure this actually does not happen to her very frequently. Um, so the tiramisu comes out, lands at her table. She's sitting with another um, brunette woman. She stands up and kind of signals, like waves at us to be like, come on over, come on. And we're like, oh boy, like we both do want this to happen and absolutely do not want this to happen, you know, because we're like, oh, we're cooler than this. We get there and we both need our vision checked. Not Amy Poehler, (laughs) just completely in no way, shape or form. And, you know, the brain is like trying to make it Amy Poehler still. (laughs) It's just like not happening. So this woman like basically sits us down and we like have this awkward chit chat and we should have just fessed up, especially since 
when the waiter sent over the dessert, he's like, well, what do you want me to say? And I'm like, just tell her we love her. <laughs> so this dessert came with an, these, those ladies want you to know that they love you. Yeah. <laughs> So like there was a lot to unwind, but in the trippiest experience, uh, my friend spout out like some women supporting women crap because she turns out to have known the other woman. So weirdly, the fact that we thought this was Amy Poehler, just a case of mistaken identity and a flattering one, no less, um, just never came up. Did they ask the obvious question? Why did you send this over? Because uh, my friend she knew the other woman. She did. Right. The non-Amy Poehler lookalike. My friend just did a, you know, a New York coincidence happens to have known. Um, And so it it almost sort of kind of squeezed through as a joke. And then there was some email that circulated the next day from one of them that was like, ladies of Mirandi. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) And it was like, let's do lunch. No. And then... The pandemic hit. So this is a story about why the pandemic was a good thing, I guess. I want to talk about what you eat when you're writing. We're in my kitchen right now. One of us is in my kitchen right now. And that person is me. And is this where you usually write in your kitchen? Yes, which is quite dangerous because I won't actually show you through physical feet, but I can like turn around and open the fridge without physically getting up. (laughs) I used to live on the Upper West Side and um, I lived around the corner from LeVan Bakery, like the original. Oh, with the cookies. And it was always like a fun test in the morning to see if I would get like my morning coffee there and nothing else. I don't know why I would do that to myself. Um, But yeah, okay. So I do write my kitchen or I kind of write all over the place. Like I'd like to see the IRS come here and challenge me about how much of this apartment I write off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But what do I eat? Okay, so the thing that I eat that I shouldn't is dried mango. I have a real problem with that, which sounds so healthy on the surface. Yeah. I remember reading this interview at one point with Jennifer Aniston. I feel like it was W Magazine. I feel like she had like just gotten married to Brad. It was a long time ago. And she talked about how kale chips, I don't know if she made them, were her guilty pleasure. And she got so much for it. So annoying. (laughs) Because it's like, oh my God, please, like, like, talk to me when you've had like an entire box of Entenmann's. But at the same time, like, if you've ever seen those kale chips, you eat enough, that's like a salt lick. <laughs> and totally. similarly, like, the amount of dried mango I eat is not only like a huge problem for a woman with an Eastern European digestive system, <laughs> but just it's so much sugar. And I'll yeah. eat a lot of that, um, a lot of nuts. Like I also like repurpose stuff in this weirdly lazy way. Like I got really sick, just like food poisoning, kind of sick where I like, couldn't get down water was sort of like, oh, um, and the only thing I had this like huge box of saltines with like several sleeves of them. And I'm still now that I am not sick, like I'll just put like almond butter on the saltines and just like eat those. I don't know. I eat like the most nonsensical. <laughs> I think that's very so. sensical. I think that's totally it's normal. Not, I mean, that actually sounds too, I just, I feel like that sounds too healthy. Is it hard not to eat all day? Because when I was working at home for a short period during the pandemic, I was in the same exact literal position as you where I could open my fridge. And, right. And I did all the time without getting up. I was <laughs> doing reader, it. I did. I Listener, did. I, she did it. It was fun. <laughs> Over the pandemic, Sloan developed a very close relationship with her freezer. I made a ton of pesto. I made a ton of I made a ton of pesto because you can freeze it. You put it in ice cube trays and freeze it. And then you can just sort of like pop one out when you need it and convince yourself, especially if um one was alone during the, the pandemic, as I was, that like someone had almost prepared this for me. Like you can trick yourself just a little bit. 
The ice cube trick is such a women's magazine trick. It's so useful, but it's one of those like, here's a tip. I just did it with buttermilk because, you know, you always use two tablespoons or whatever for recipe. And then it's like, what am I going to do? And now I have an ice cube tray full of buttermilk, which I I have a house that are coming this weekend and I need to get it out of there because I'm nervous. What are they going to think? She's going to, well, I'm like, what if she wants to put an ice cube in her drink and then it's a buttermilk ice cube? I'm going to show you, even though people are not going to be able to see because it's um, a podcast, but I think it's worth it. And because we've established that I can reach my fridge, I want to show you what's in my freezer. (gasps) Please. I love, this is my favorite form of voyeurism is looking in people's fridges and freezers. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to be shocked? Is it all buttermilk? <laughs> it's mostly human heads. Though, okay. Right? It's yeah. worse. These are sweaters. <gasps> <laughs> this is the most New Yorker thing. This is a stereotype come to life. But, you know, I have to say for people at home, it doesn't look like neatly stacked folded sweaters. It looks like you just shoved a, a bunch of laundry in there. <laughs> I, know, I know. What's weird is, okay, I mean, if they would be neatly stacked if I had um, planned to do that little bit. I have not. No, no. Um, but they're supposed to be neatly stacked. There's some neat stacking at the bottom and then some shoving in on top, um, mostly because this apartment came with a slight moth problem. And like the only place to put sweaters is the freezer. The freezer's really like no one's getting in there and nothing is happening in there. So the worst part about it is that like the one item you don't want to be in the freezer in the winter is your sweater. I was so I always say. have this very painful like... Five seconds. But then, yeah, I'm sort of used to it now. But you that's should put in it in the sweaters. microwave first or in the oven and heat it oh up God. and then put it on. An ice sweater. An ice sweater. I put on an ice sweater. I mean, I just, I'm like hard like that, man. Yeah. Which also sounds like just talking in a New York a- accent. It sounds like a nice sweater. I put on an ice sweater. <laughs> I put on an, a, nice, a nice sweater. It's an ice, a nice it's sweater. a nice sweater. sweater. It's sweater and weather. I use it. Mm-hmm. Sweater weather. I go to the rink. I have the sweater. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah. Go to the rink. What was in the door? It looked like there was some kind of food in a was bag. There was there food in a bag? Oh, it's probably frozen bagels from like 100 years ago. Okay. Since my interview with Sloan, I've told a few friends that she keeps her sweaters in her freezer, expecting them to laugh or knowingly nod. But everybody I've told looked extremely perplexed. But this is a pretty classic New York City phenomenon. It's not uncommon for folks in tiny expensive apartments who prefer cardigans to cooking to treat their kitchens like an extension of their closet. My New York grandma, Grandma Sue, who was not a cook and wore green wet and wild eyeliner and had an extensive collection of pedal pushers, used to stock her oven with out of season clothing. Even the great Carrie Bradshaw in episode three of season three of Sex in the City said, quote, I use my oven for storage when Miranda asked her if she owned a rolling pin. Fun fact about me, I can incorporate a storyline from Sex in the City into almost any life event. Anyway, I was very charmed by Sloane's ironically icy sweaters, and her foodless freezer reminded me of a New York Times article from February 2021. It's called When One Fridge Is Not Enough by Cynthia Greenlee. Greenlee reports that 35 million American households own two refrigerators. And 6 million households have more than two. That is 35 million households with an old fridge in the garage full of Diet Coke and frozen pizza bites. But the wildest statistic is that the majority of Americans who own two refrigerators are only two-person households. 
I only have two right now. There used to be three, but one freezer died recently. (laughs) That's Jonathan Ammons, a musician and food writer in Asheville, North Carolina. He lives with one roommate. We do big dinner parties for people all the time. We have a big table that seats about 12 to 14 people, and we at least have that thing full once a month, sometimes three times a month. So there's always people overeating. You're always cooking for somebody else. You're always cooking for a neighbor that popped by. That's just kind of the nature of of our house and our lifestyles. But at my parents' house, it's just the two of them. But they still have two refrigerators, a chest freezer, like a massive chest freezer, and a upright freezer. Wow. So four total. What kind of things are in there? (laughs) They have one that's like just dedicated to meat. And then they have one that's, you know, vegetables and breads and all kinds of stuff. I don't know if they're the most like, they manage it the best because there's stuff in there that's been there for since I was a child, you know. (laughs) I would say in mine, I will find a good deal on something like, for instance, Aldi always has duck on sale around the holidays. You can get a whole duck for like 12 or 13 bucks. So I'll just buy like three ducks and keep them in the freezer. And then on special occasions, I'll just pop a duck out and thaw it out and boom, I've got a duck ready to go. As prices have started to inflate lately in the grocery stores, it's been a great resource to reach back in the freezer and have stuff that I bought when it was much, much cheaper. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just think the fact that 35 million Americans have two fridges or more is amazing. And just... (laughs) So American. I mean, can you imagine like, you know, all the Europeans and people in Asian countries who go grocery shopping every day for their dinner and we're like, nope, we're stocked up for three years. Yeah. I mean, I think that comes from, so like I'm born and bred in Appalachian mountains in Western North Carolina. Appalachian culture culture is built around preserving what we love. And I think that that comes from being raised in environments of scarcity, being raised in places that have a lot of opportunity for for growth in agriculture, but in very limited windows. So a lot of this culture historically has been built around preserving things that you harvested a large bounty of during the limited time when you could. For the most part, that meant canning and jarring things. The things that I grew up with was always having multiple refrigerators or freezers in your space to keep what you got from the garden fresh longer. I have one fridge and it has a pretty small freezer and it is currently so packed with food that when I open the door to get a sweater, of course, a chunk of salmon will fall on my foot or my Chinese face roller thingy falls out and breaks in half. So I think that Sloan has done the safest thing, only storing soft, unbreakable things in her freezer. After the break, Sloane shares her last meal. And do kids really only want to eat chicken nuggets, butter noodles, and mac and cheese? I talk to a whole bunch of kids about what they like and what they don't like. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula. 
where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. We better get to the big question at hand. What would your last meal be besides mm. sweaters? I'm mostly sweaters. I'm a human Sweater mom. soup. Um, so, okay. I have an idea. I want a little bit of the first childhood version of what I now love as an adult with every course. Mm. So what I would do is the salad course that would start would eventually be this amazing um this green salad they have at the restaurant Omen in uh, Soho, which is watercress, bok choy, eggplant, mushrooms. It's so good. I would mm. eat it forever. But then I want a little bit of like the sort of uh, sort of mealy, almost see-through lettuce with like wishbone Italian uh-huh. <laughs> salad dressing on the side. Um, and similarly, I would do the lasagna then from Isodi. I'm such a New Yorker that I'm naming like the restaurants I would order out. No, from, that's not necessarily perfect. the dishes. But then with that, I want, or like before it, as a little amuse-bouche, I would like some Kraft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <that's what> <laughs> yes. And then any dessert, really. I like things that are sort of like berry or hazelnutty as opposed to chocolate. But like any dessert from Brooks Headley, who did Del Posto and now has Superiority Burger. But I would want to start with like a like mint Milano's or like I went to camp and we used to be served this delicious delicious Boston cream pie, which I later found out is in no way, shape or form. It's like an Amy Poehler of Boston cream pies. (laughs) It's genuinely like an all girls camp on a budget. It's basically crust with pudding in it. That sounds really good, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like crust with some sort of pudding that I think they just put in the fridge for a long time. So it didn't totally leak out, but eventually did when you sliced it. And then just like with cream on top a couple years ago, for some reason, really wanted to make it. And I Googled Boston cream pie and I like, you're I'm like, like, oh, I can't find anything that looks like the thing yeah. we were talking It sounds like you had a chocolate <laughs> pudding pie is what you chocolate had. Chocolate pudding pie. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, weirdly, I just, I want, I don't, I mean, cause I think I would be unsatisfied if it was my last meal and that's, it was only the childhood stuff. But I also like, I don't know, in a genuine way, I feel like I like the idea of it representing my whole life somehow. This is one of the coolest answers that anyone has actually given. That's oh, really? really? Yeah. I was worried. No. I mean, there's different reasons why I like different people's last meals, but the ones that are almost less about the food and more kind of about the thoughtfulness are the most interesting the to me. Yeah. And yours is almost existential. You know, it, <laughs> it is. Exist- <laughs> I just feel like there's a good combination of like comfort things that I've <laughs> always loved and things that I have grown to really love. And it's not even like, you don't really need a particularly sophisticated palette to like fancy lasagna. It's Mm -hmm. just that, you know, I think it's about just the associative memories with those, those foods. 
I always like a restaurant that has a couple of dishes that sort of caters to the understanding that people might not want to be so hip every second of every day. And you just want comfort food. Yes. I want something encrusted in cheese. I don't care if it's a jello mold. Mm. That sounds disgusting. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) For her last meal, Sloan wants a multi-course dinner that covers her current favorite foods and their childhood equivalents. Are you a nostalgic person in general? Yeah, I'm a writer. They pay me to be nostalgic. <laughs> so they pay me the medium bucks to be nostalgic. That's what I make too, medium bucks. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I super, I, I definitely am. I mean, there are so many places that I just, I remember like the neighborhood places of everywhere I've ever lived or mm-hmm. like you know, different cities. There's always like a food place in every city that I like must go visit if I've been there before. Generally not fancy. It's like a burrito. <laughs> I think that's why I got existential about it because I was like, well, what is the last kind of montage of the mouth of what I've eaten and loved throughout yeah. my life? I'm sure. I mean, but if I were really, really do it, I would also include like the crap I ate in high school, which was like Snapple and chocolate chip muffins from like Otis Spunkmeyer. Yes. Spunkmeyer? Spunkmeyer. Is it Meyer. possible it was called Spunkmeyer? It is so true. <laughs> Wow. Who is he? Uh, sure someone's a brave, brave man with that name. Uh, my Snapple <laughs> combo is Snapple and Sun Chips. Uh, also delicious. Mm-hmm. So exactly like that kind of stuff. But I think I'd want the real thing. Like there's a version of this answer, a version of like sort of culinary life in general, where it's like you make some sort of fancy dessert um, that's like deconstructed and has foam that's supposed to taste like Snapple and Sun Chips. But I would prefer to just eat the real thing. Yes, I don't want any sort of layer between me and how much I love these crappy old chemicals. The main course of Sloan's last meal is the vegetarian lasagna from E. Sodi, a very popular Italian restaurant in New York City's Greenwich Village, owned by chefs Rita Sodi and Jody Williams. They have two or three lasagnas on the menu, depending on the time of year, and each of them are made with more than 20 layers of fresh pasta. Tell me a little bit about the lasagna. It is just a billion layers. I think there's like a bolognese one. Um, I wouldn't know. The one I get is spinach that has, I don't know, is it like bacamel sauce? God, my pronunciation. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's almost like the writing version of this is when you hear someone um, talk about the characters in a book that you've known in your head for a long time. Yes. Like, I love it when like, Shmeen and do, and they're like, Tom, I'm like, sure. <laughs> That's not what you mean? Like, but yeah. When you wear um, your Versace and you go down your for, your, for your bacamol yeah. sauce. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I used to work with authors a lot, like on the other side of like when I was a publicist, people would call Random House and ask to speak to, I can never do it, a Michael um, Shabon. I don't know what it is. What is it? Shabon. Shabon. Okay. When you know it, you know it. But anyway, okay. So would you say the sauce again? So I don't. Oh yeah. Bechamel. Wow. Yeah. I like, I like your version though. (laughs) No, no, no. Mine says that sounds like Bacchanal. I know yours has like these hard staccato kind of notes to it. And mine's like a flowing (laughs) sauce. Which, by the way, it's when you eat it, it, it sort of chimes in with your definition. It's just sort of this delicate thing. And then it mm. sits like a lump in your stomach like mine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, there we go. Both work. In our Eastern anyway, European like, stomachs. I mean, I'm sure um, if the people behind this particular lasagna are listening to this podcast, they'd be like, this <laughs> is like, no. no way. This is in no way the list of ingredients. But it's just um, this lasagna is like the size of your head. It's like the perfect amount of cheese, the most perfectly done pasta. And you really feel 
in this rather sophisticated restaurant, you know, this rather cool restaurant. It's not necessarily trendy. It's just really good. Like a kid again in some ways mm. where I'm like, uh, I feel like someone dared me to finish this. Maybe it was Garfield. Because, well, there's maybe it was Garfield. <laughs> I don't think Garfield would let me have his lasagna. But basically, it's like it, it, you can't possibly finish it. And I don't oh. say that as to shame anyone who ever has. But I know they've lived with regret. I know they have. <laughs> like, it's just like there's no way. Um, it, it eats like several meals. Um, and it's just delicious. And you sit there and you have a Negroni to sort of cut it or some good wine. And you sit at the bar at that restaurant. That's the other thing is... Where do these last meals take place? Wherever you want, the fantasy. Wherever you want. I think I want all of the foods that I named, including the ones that were from different restaurants or from childhood. I think that I want them all to be sitting at the bar at Isodi. It's a beautiful place, a like long sort of marble strip. And I've just never had a bad experience there. And I have such good... It makes sense that that is what you want as a part of your last meal because you love this dish that your mom made, which is French, but it sounds, it's almost like a French equivalent of a lasagna. This, let's see how I say this, gâteau de crepes a la Mm. Florentine, which is a savory stack of crepes. And it's spinach and mushroom filling with a Mornay sauce, which is a cheese sauce with all of these really thin layers of crepes. So it's not dissimilar. No, you know what? It's not. <laughs> it's not. And I don't actually, uh, uh, to bolster your point, I don't think I order lasagna anywhere except for there because it probably does mimic this thing my mom made. I'm so happy I sent that to you in advance. I nearly forgot about it. Sometimes I feel just completely paralyzed when talking about food in a way that I don't with like music or books or travel. You know, if you mm-hmm. just ask me like where to go. I'll just tell you or what to read. I'll just tell you. Yeah, it feels like I feel very confident, but maybe I don't know if it's that food culture has been owned by people who know a lot more than I do, even though all you need to really know about it is a face and a digestive system. What is your very favorite food in the whole world? Really long pasta. A blow pop, lollipop. Um, Chinese food like noodles and the chicken. Um, My favorite food is yogurt, strawberry Mm. flavor, nachos. I prefer to have mine plain with some whipped cream. Whipped cream? I mean sour cream. (laughs) (laughs) For her last meal, Sloan wants her favorite adult foods and her favorite childhood foods. So I've spent the past week interviewing a ton of little kids about just that. My name is Olive and I'm six years old. I'm in kindergarten. Do you think there's any difference between kids' food and adults' food? Um, uh, yeah. Kids always eat food with less things on it and grown-ups always eat food with more things on it. I'm Amaya and I'm 11. Kids usually eat crappy food. They usually go for like the pizza, the chicken nuggets, the pasta. Usually that's like what kids like to eat and then adults go for the more like big and like crazy, like for example, steak, ribs, fish, pork, more like meat and then kids just want crappy stuff. But it's still good, like fast food. My name is Ella and I'm eight years old. Well, sometimes I think adults like foods that kids don't like, like for sometimes veggies, like spinach and broccoli and asparagus, or like fish, like halibut and salmon. What's a food that you think maybe you don't like now, like as a kid, but you think, when I'm an adult, I'm probably gonna eat this. Avocado. 
You don't eat avocados? Not really. No. Lying liar who lies. No, I don't like <laughs> to eat avocado like plain by itself, but I like to eat it with avocado toast. You got busted. <laughs> busted. <laughs> My name is Saray and I'm eight years old. I asked Saray what she thinks she'll eat for lunch when she's a grown-up who has to go to work. Maybe like a ham and cheese sandwich. Because I have to, like, make something really fast to get to work. And, like, maybe, like, a Gatorade, maybe? My name is Gemma Hynoski. I am seven years old. I'm almost eight. Are there things that your parents eat that you don't like? Yes. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. I mostly, when I have to eat them, close my eyes and plug my nose. And my sister always says, pretend that it's mac and cheese, but it doesn't taste anything like it. What do you think you might like when you're a grown-up that you don't really like right now? I like ramen now, but not with that many things on it. So I think when I'm older, I'll like it with lots more things on it. Eggs, pork, um, lettuce, and peppers, corn. Emmy Collins knows a lot about what kids like to eat. She's the district chef for Seattle Public Schools and develops lunch menus for more than 100 schools in the district. But there is no lunch lady as cool as Chef Emmy. Chef Emmy is a Food Network Chop Champion and... Here in Seattle, I have done a lot of like private chef works for celebrities like Eddie Vedder, Jamal Crawford, Russell and Sierra Wilson. A few years ago, the district hired Emmy and nutrition director Aaron Smith. And together, they've made some really big changes. We really want to bring more farm-to-table foods to Seattle Public Schools. We've been able to do that. We work with several local farms. We were recipients of the um, WSDA um, Farm to School grant. So we were able to get lots of like fresh local produce. Um, Another big thing for me is bringing more culturally relevant food to school lunch. Just being an immigrant myself, coming to Seattle Public Schools like midway through first grade year, it was a really big adjustment for me from coming from Brazil. And so it's really like a passion of mine to really diversify the menu, bring more culturally relevant dishes, which we have been able to do. I mean, we recently just did um, an Ethiopian dish, Maserwat, with Anjeta. Um, we worked with, like, a local Anjeta maker. Um, we've done, like, duck spring rolls, banh mi. So lots of, like, really culturally delicious dishes. It's funny because everybody asked me if I've put something Brazilian on the menu yet. I don't know why. I've been, like, waiting, trying to, like, wait for the <laughs> perfect moment. But we are working with a local pão queijo maker. I'm going to make, like, a vegetarian feijoada that's going to be served with, like, a little pão Ponji Keju next to it. So I'm really excited about that coming up. Is it pronounced Ponji Keju? Ponji Keju. What is that? It's a Brazilian cheese bread. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, yep, it's made with like tapioca starch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so good. All the kids really love it. So I think it'll be a hit. Our taco bar, the meat is made with um, local beef from like Eastern Washington. And like the farmer like drives it over the pass and brings it to me. So it's actual ground beef and it's not that like, prison tasting food you know what I mean it makes like such a difference Um, that's been really good and we also the Asian um, rice bowl is with like a Pacific Northwest salmon that we serve and kids really love that Um, I feel like people were like why are you putting salmon on the menu it's really irritating how they like dumb down like kids like kids don't need these food you know what I mean that really irritates me the kids love the salmon they love it they love it and it's like how many of those kids like 
never have been exposed to salmon, can't afford salmon. We'll never eat salmon outside of the school. Well, yeah, growing up in Brazil, was there much separation between, quote, kids' food and adults' food? Yeah, in Brazil, there's no such thing as kids' food. It is, you know, the food that's on the table is the food for everybody. You know, there was never a distinction. Like, never was my mom or grandma ever going to make me a separate meal from what everybody was eating ever. So, yeah, no, it's definitely, I feel like, an American thing. How do you balance it? Because in America... A lot of kids like what we've called kids food, you know, like buttered noodles, pizza and chicken nuggets and corn dogs. Yeah. So how do you balance that with wanting to serve healthier foods? Yeah. You know, and that's what it is. It's really like a balance. I'm not coming and saying like, no, we're getting rid of all these, you know, fun foods that kids like to eat. And even myself, you know, I like a slice of pizza here and there. Um, I have three kids and my three kids are just all so different obviously in personality, but also in the way that they eat. Um, my youngest is like a foodie. Like, I mean, she'll eat anything. My my middle child is like the most picky. So I'm all about just like exposing the kids, you know, like I want them to have exposure to all these other culture dishes. But also, yes, we're going to keep like pizza and hot dog day and maybe like some chicken wings. It's really about balance. It really irks me when, like, people are like, kids don't like that. Kids just want, you know, grilled cheese. The one thing that I was like, I'm never putting this on the menu is corn dog because I personally hate corn dogs. <laughs> and it was just, like, one of the things when, like, I, as, like, a six-year-old came and I was like, what is this? And I, like, took a bite of it and it was like, no. <laughs> like, our Brazilian hot dogs, I don't know if you're familiar, but Brazilian hot dogs are, like, so good. Like, we cook this, the hot dogs in, like, this, like, tomato-y sauce, like, like peppers and onions and stuff. So going from that to, like, just a plain American hot dog and then, like, a corn dog on top of that was crazy. So we took that off the menu. Um, and then um, we started replacing, like, all our meats with, like, whole muscle mm-hmm. meats. Um, you know, just, like, better quality and garlic like, cut into, like, mm-hmm. nugget size. What were the dishes that they really responded to well and what were the ones that they didn't like very much yeah you know what kids are so surprising kids really respond to like home cooked meals like this was really surprising we did like a Haitian lentil stew and the kids really loved it I think that you know like it's just like the love you know poured into the food when it's like made with love and care it like translates to like whoever is eating it even a kid can kind of like know the difference so I've been surprised by that It is time for a quick break, but when we come back, Sloane tells me what she would put in her freezer if there was any room for food. listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. Talk about the first fancy dish you ever made. 
So we had, it's really, it's going to be embarrassing because I don't think it's fancy because it's the first one I ever made. I was a kid. We were like a cooking family, but more in like a gadgetry sense. Like father had like two blowtorches, which is like two too many blowtorches, you know. Well, Julia Child says every woman should have a blowtorch. So we should really have one. Yeah, that was one of her famous lines. Oh my gosh, I love that. But yes, okay, so we had that, but it was also like the gadgetry uh, trend, like the era of the bread machine, the yogurt machine, the fondue uh, kit. I grew up in White Plains, which is like a city of malls. There's like five of them. And one is like the sad one with like the DMV and the place where, you know, and then there's one where you get your ears pierced. And then there's one with like a Versace. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which one was your family's mall? Ours was the middle. Okay, Like ours was definitely like the Galleria. There was like a great place where when I did eat meat when I was a kid used to make these amazing hot hot pastrami sandwiches Mm. and we'd go to the movies with them which is disgusting but everybody did it so (laughs) we weren't animals it's like why don't you just take fish on a plane what do you do (laughs) but um anyway uh so long story longer is that uh when I think Williams Sonoma really came you do a lot of like cooking demonstrations I was like in the mall with my friends and there was like a peanut sauce demonstration I bought that and then I like tracked down these like very fancy, I, I would give anything to find them. I don't know what they're called. It's not like, I think of that New Yorker cartoon that's like, hey, Fusili, what are you doing? Like, I, don't, I don't remember what they're called, but these like super curly long noodles and scallions. And that's pretty much it. But I just like made this pasta with this peanut sauce and the scallions and it was so delicious. And I was very happy. It was just beautiful. I'm just impressed that at that age you spent your allowance or if you had a job, your own money yeah. tracking down gourmet noodles. noodles. Yes, it's really cute. <laughs> okay, before I let you go, I'm going to do a little speed round. Uh, number oh. one, what is your ideal birthday cake? Ooh, whoa. Well, probably uh, vanilla with some sort of hazelnut layer in between. Mm. And then I would like, Betty Crocker chocolate, like from the box frosting? icing. Okay. Yeah. Like frosting, frosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would make me really happy. I like how you did a portmanteau. You said frosting. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. No, I'm tired. Good. You know, the irony of all this is that I skipped lunch. <laughs> oh no. Okay. You'll have to eat after this. Um, since you say that you can give good recommendations on books and music, what right now would you recommend for a book? Oh my love? gosh. Um, well, I just finished reading the sequel to Less by Andrew <gasps> Sean Greer. Mm. Less is Lost, and it's excellent. I would highly recommend it. Oh, my God. I read that book a few years ago, and it was my favorite book of the year, and I've been waiting. Yes. Oh, yay. It's a sequel. We were talking about it. Um, I suggested he call them a pair of books, mm-hmm. Salt and Pepper Shakers. Oh, I like that. Yay. Yeah. What is a food that is the best in New York and not as good everywhere else? Oh, uh, pizza. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's got to be pizza, like deep dish pizza. Are you kidding me? It's a joke. It's a casserole. Uh, it's a casserole. By the way, it is a very delicious thing. Maybe oh, yeah. that's where this confusion comes from about like, oh, like this battle. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to fight you. I like deep dish pizza. Yeah. It's just not what I would consider pizza. That's all. What's your favorite pizza place in New York? Big Nick's. Um, I don't know if it's still open. I think it is. I hope so. Oh my gosh, it might have shut down. Oh no, go get your favorite pizza before they're gone or maybe they already are. <laughs> I know, it was, but, but like a genuine 24-hour thing and just like really great cold cheese that had been sitting in a cabinet for too long. Mmm, delicious. Cold cheese? Not really, but you know what I mean? There's certain pizza that's just like good drunk person pizza. Yes. And I just really like, I would never say if you were like, Having a pizza taste test, I wouldn't necessarily uh, choose Big Nick's as like, it's not like John's pizza. But for me, for me, that's my gal. 
Last question. If you were to finally have a moth-free home and you could free those sweaters <laughs> from their icy home, what is something that you'd love to put in that freezer that you'd actually like to eat that there's no room for? Oh, man. I think frozen fruit because that's something you really can't keep next to sweaters. You don't want a bunch of like potentially hazardous raspberries or blueberries <laughs> <laughs> near white sweaters. I think frozen fruit, I think ice. I don't really love ice cream, which is a thing, but I do love like popsicles and bars of ice cream, enrobed kind of thing on a stick. So basically desserty things yeah. that, that I don't have in there right now. And that was Sloan Crosley's last meal. You can pick up her new novel, Cult Classic, at your favorite indie bookstore or find a link in the show notes. Yeah. I've been reading your book very slowly because it was a busy summer. And so I checked your book out like when it first came out, returned it, checked it out again. Returned, like I'm reading it in these tiny sections and I think I'm still only like a quarter in. Um, after this, I will send you a copy of the book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're going to put a stop to I this. I have to start I need, from the I need the full report. I need the questions, the comments, the criticism. Yes. Oh, I'm going to Although already. I do kind of like the Dickensian like serialization that you've inflicted upon yourself. I don't know this. what that means, but that sounds really smart. So I love it. It means, it means, <laughs> it means that um, A Christmas Carol, uh, when it was first published, was published in pieces. Oh, like it show. was? Oh, that's yeah. cool. But yeah, that serialized thing where you, you have to wait. Thank you so much. This was so fun. And oh I'm, my gosh, thank you. And I love your books. Well, anyway. thank you so much. Yeah. This has been an honor, a so privilege, fun. a joy. It's made me hungry. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, go have lunch now. I'm going to be your mother. Go have lunch. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Jonathan Ammons. People always put an O instead of an A at the end of Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> yes. The Canadian spelling instead of my, my Appalachian Southern spelling. That's right. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Canadian spelling. I mean, as a Rachel, I'm very insulted by the people who spell it R-A-C-H-A-E-L, but so I didn't know you had an equivalent. <laughs> Thanks to Chef Emmy Collins, district chef for Seattle Public Schools and owner of Soul and Spice Catering. Special thanks to Tina Havzala's second grade class at Seattle's Wedgwood Elementary. I feel terrible because I couldn't fit in all of the kids and all the interviews that I did. But if you're listening, thanks for chatting with me. And a big thank you to all of the other kids who participated. Maya Olive River, Amaya Saray, and Nyla. Because I'm not like a waffle girl, girl anymore. Because on the weekends, I don't like waffles, but on the not weekends, I do like waffles. If you're not a waffle girl, what kind of girl are you? I'm kind of a family girl. <laughs> what does it mean to be a family girl? I don't really know. Your Last Meal is a Slide Down the Dinosaur Media production, created and produced by me. Approximately one billion thank yous to sound designer Randy Torres for mixing this episode. Theme music by Prom Queen. Your Last Meal is an independent production, so it would mean so much if you could tap out five stars on Apple Podcasts or write a quick little review there. It helps the show so much. Make sure you're following along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell, B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E, and you can find a link to my free Substack newsletter in the show notes. That is where you'll get alerts on events and giveaways and all kinds of other fun things. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is your last meal. Where'd you get that sweater? 
I think it's from Gucci. <laughs> okay, let's hang Did up we and we'll come right back. Goodbye. Okay, bye. I don't know why I'm screaming at you. <laughs> You're <Goodbye>. so mad. <laughs> Hi. Hi, three times a lady here. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Mm. Okay. Well, that wasn't stressful at all. Well, you know what? Now you know how to do it when you're with Oprah. You're like, oh, I practiced on that Rachel girl in Seattle and now I got it down. You right. know? Yeah. I wonder if it's strong enough for Larry King. I wonder if it's strong <laughs> enough for a man, but pH balance for a woman. <laughs> Hi. Hello. hello. No one has said goodbye and hello as much as us in a short amount of time. Goodbye. Hi. <laughs> uh, except for the Beatles. But yeah. Oh. Oh, we'll all go out to meet her. We'll all go out to meet her. Oh, we'll all go out to meet her when she comes. Yeehaw. All right, here we go.